Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, this is episode 20 of this podcast enterprise, and honestly, who knows how many more episodes are ahead of us, but I think it's safe to say that with the election just days away, there will be much more for us to talk about in the immediate future, mostly looking ahead to what 2021 and beyond holds for the tax system. So, meanwhile, as we sit here in the eye of that storm waiting for the elections to play out, I thought now was as good of an opportunity as any, really, and maybe the only one we'll actually get, to not spend time talking about new tax proposals. We've talked about what those proposals are, how they might work, how they could go from ideas to actual legislation. Today, let's go the other way. We're going to look at items that are already law, and in some cases have been for decades, things that the tax community knows inside and out. Of course, I'm talking about the so-called tax extenders, those items that are in the tax law, but that have a shelf life. These are things that are set to expire every year or every few years, at which point we raise the eternal question of whether and when Congress will get around to extending them. And it's easy to forget amidst all the hue and cry of the election, the Biden plan, the Trump plan, COVID relief legislation, the OECD work, and so forth, that there is a sizable group of these items facing the legislative abyss on December 31st of this year. So with that, I'm joined today by our friends, Carol Coolish and Jennifer Gray, as we try and understand what these things are, why they look the way they do, and what the future might hold for them. So with that, Carol, I'm going to start with you. I mentioned that there are some, I think, expiring this year. Can you just remind us what are some of the major expiring items that we have to be thinking about that would expire at the end of 2020? Sure, John. Putting aside the whole set of temporary provisions that were enacted in the CARES Act earlier this year as part of the COVID-19 response legislation, there are over 30 provisions in the code that are currently scheduled to expire at the end of this year. They include things like the provisions for excise taxation of craft beverages, the special modification of rates of craft beverages that was in the TCJA, the look-through treatment of payments between related controlled foreign corporations under the Foreign Personal Holding Company Rules, or Section 954C6C, the medical expense deduction, the fact that the 7.5% adjusted gross income threshold for medical expense deductions is scheduled to go up to 10% at the end of this year. The work opportunity tax credit, or WOTC, is set to expire, as is the new markets tax credit. And then there are some energy provisions, some cost recovery provisions, and some other provisions. But as I said, those totaled more than 30 and then we have a couple, well, we have quite a few things from the CARES Act that had short shelf lives. I think some of those potentially could become at least extenders in the short term. And that includes stuff like the suspension of the ticket taxes for aviation. And given that the aviation industry is still struggling in light of the coronavirus situation, it strikes me that that's something that there may be pressure to extend further. So those are just some of the provisions that are out there. Well, there's quite a few in there that, I mean, they're all important to somebody, right? That's one of the interesting things about extender. There's somebody out there that really, really cares about all of those, but there's quite a few that we hear 
about a lot. 954C6, the CFC look-through rule, we hear about Watsi, we hear about New Markets, and a lot of the energy provisions are sort of always seeming to be expiring. Just one more question for you then, Carol. With all those, plus the CARES Act provisions, I think people would look at that and go, wow, this must be a really unusual year that so many happen to be expiring this year. Is this unusual or is this kind of par for the course in terms of the way these things play out? Yeah, it's par for the course. And to some extent, some of the old provisions that used to be scheduled to expire have been made permanent. Years ago, R&D credit was temporary, as was many, many years ago, low-income housing credit. There used to be an AMT patch. There are things, medical device was something that they dealt with. Suspending it would keep getting addressed periodically. That was ultimately just repealed at the end of 2019. But yeah, this has just become a very, very common practice that we have these provisions that have temporary shelf lives and they're kicked down the road for a period. And oftentimes we have new expiring provisions join the pack as some of them drop out and become permanent or just dropped, which is rare. Yeah, right. I mean, so I guess what you said was this seems to always happen. Yes, this group of extenders seems to evolve over time. Some drop off, some come on. The ones that are no longer in there, in almost all cases, it's because Congress went in and made them permanent. But then new ones seem to kind of take their place. So with this dynamic, Jennifer, let me ask you then, why? Why, why does Congress do this to us? Why do we have this dynamic of this huge group of extenders to temporary tax law? Rather than if Congress thought it was good policy to begin with, why not? just say it's good policy and it's permanent. Well, believe it or not, it's not just to drive the uh, tax practitioners crazy, although it certainly feels that way every year. There are a number of reasons. I mean, one, some of them are actually temporary on purpose. We saw example of this with the recent CARES legislation, but there certainly have been examples in the past, particularly when you've seen economic downturns. Once 68K bonus depreciation was an extender for quite a while because it was originally put in place just for a couple years in a a situation where there was an economic downturn to try to help companies. So it was, sometimes these are meant to be temporary because they're to address a particular issue that is expected to be temporary in nature. So sometimes that's the case. And then what often ends up happening is people like them. And so then there's pressure not to let them expire as was originally planned. So another bucket of those would be this is more a longer term, not so much what we're seeing this year, but sometimes it's a result of the fact that some provisions were passed as part of reconciliation, of course, which is the process that allows tax laws to be passed with only 51 votes in the Senate instead of the normal 60, because of some of the uh, very complex rules regarding that, and particularly how those bills impact the deficit. Sometimes you see provisions that were enacted as part of a reconciliation bill, such as the Bush tax cuts or the, the TCJA have an expiration date. That sometimes is the case, but oftentimes it looks better. It's cheaper. So when Congress is looking at most of these tend to be tax cuts, when they're looking at enacting tax cuts, if it's for a shorter amount of time, it looks looks better, quote unquote, when you're looking at deficit numbers and the cost to the government. Got it. So there were a bunch of reasons there and they're all valid, right? The COVID stuff was designed to address a very, at least hopefully, <laughs> a temporary situation. And so the underlying tax provisions should be temporary. Sometimes you've got these budgetary rules like budget reconciliation, the TCJA stuff, and maybe we should come back to a couple of those things because they're really important. And then other times it's just a budgetary game is that Doing something for two or three years is going to cost you less than making it permanent. And I guess that's just, those are all sort of the dynamics that lead us into this, why we have this list of temporary things and instead of the rather just making them all permanent. Okay. 
Go ahead. And if you wanted to address the world's most cynical reason for it, you know, if, if you have things expiring that Congress needs to work on that gives folks things to talk about at fundraisers. Yeah, and the lobbyists, you know, I mean, it's a great thing to have the opportunity to lobby your issue anew every year or every two years. It's, it's cynical, but probably not wholly untrue. Yes. Plus, plus, I would just add on that same theme that you sort of you only pay for it once when it's temporary in the sense that people look at the price tag when it first comes in the code. And as you said, a two-year cost of something that's a tax benefit is going to be less than a 10-year cost. But then when it gets packaged together with other expiring provisions and people extend them, Oftentimes they don't pay for them and nobody looks and says, this is just too much money to spend on these. From a lobbying perspective, you, you get it in and you, you, you have to really focus on the price tag when it first comes in, the one year or two year, whatever the temporary cost is. But people don't tend to look at the cost of it and make a big deal out of it when they're piled together and extended as part of a larger package down the road. That's a great point, Carol. And not only just having to justify the cost, but even sometimes having to justify the policy underlying it as well. Once it becomes part of a package of extenders, it's it's cliche. It seems every year the, the chairman or, or one of both of the tax committees says that they're going to look at and examine each one of the extenders on its merits. But oftentimes when it comes to end of December, they end up just putting them all together in a big package and, and moving them along. So that's a great point, Carol. Yeah, I mean, how many instances can you think of also when Congress has actually paid for extenders? I'm thinking of maybe kind of, sort of, halfway, halfway, partly one time. But normally, once you're in, you're in. You're golden, and we don't pay for those. So, you know, as a member of Congress I worked for used to say, why should we raise taxes to prevent a tax increase is the way he used to talk about why we shouldn't have to pay for extenders. And so it's a, it's a good point. Once you're in, you're kind of in the club, and it's much easier to stay in the club than to get into the club. Good point. All right, so Carol, let me come back to you then. So, okay, we've got these things. We now kind of know why this dynamic exists, and we have a pretty good idea that this year we've got a bumper crop of them, but they always seem to be around. So when these things come up for expiration, right, the logical thing to do would be for Congress to address these before they expire. Do we want to extend them or not, right? I mean, that's what they always do. Is, is that true? Well, that would be really nice from a tax policy perspective, wouldn't it? I mean, it would give everybody certainty for planning perspectives. So that would be the optimal policy result. But recently, we don't see that happen a lot. We've gotten in a pattern recently of seeing a lot of situations where the provisions expire as scheduled. And then at some point in the next year before the due date for extended returns, they're brought back to life retroactively. So we saw that pattern for a while. And then seems a lot longer ago than this, but less than one year ago, in December of 2019, they actually brought back from the dead some provisions that had been, had expired as long ago as the end of 2017. So they were dead for almost two years and it was past the extended due date for returns, which raised additional complexities in terms of how to take advantage of the credits retroactively. That's the longest period I've seen. And that was, interestingly, that was part of an appropriations legislation that they tacked the extenders onto that. I think people tend to refer to those as the zombie extenders, since some of them had been dead for quite a while before they were brought to life. That's appropriate. It's almost Halloween. Yes, the zombie tax provisions that Congress exhumed from their grave, reanimated and brought back to life as odd as that is. It is exactly what happened. But to that point then, Carol, let me just ask you one more question. So you sort of said it's not optimal policy. If people are wondering what are we talking about, let me just give you an example. Tell me if I'm thinking about this as kind of an oddity. Let's just take 168K, bonus depreciation. We know one of the things that get, seems to get extended over and over. That's designed to encourage people to 
go out and buy stuff, right? And if we extend it retroactively, how do you retroactively give somebody an incentive to go do something? Is that kind of what we're talking about in terms of suboptimal tax policy? Yeah, and I think part of what you're seeing is people, I mean, that that's sort of the argument people are making. Do you need to extend them? And then the counter argument people will make is, well, we're assuming they'll be extended because they always are. So we're planning based upon that incentive, even though you haven't done it yet. But there's there's two sides to that coin in terms of the arguments people make. All right, Jennifer, I want to come back to you with a really hard question, and Carol, love to have you weigh in too, right? This is the, the hard one, the crystal ball question. So we mentioned this, you know, the group of extenders this year. This is an odd year. It's an election year. Uh, who knows what's going to happen on November 3rd and the weeks that follow. What do we think or do we have any idea how this is going to play out post-election in terms of trying to get those provisions that expire at the end of this year extended? Would they get done this year or were they going to have to wait until some future point and be done retroactively? You know, you made a good point that might be a little easier to speculate on this on the days following the election. But for now, if you look at recent history, it more than likely would not happen toward the end of this year. A best case scenario might be early next year or even toward the end of 2021 retroactive to the beginning of 2021. I think a couple things working against that this year, potentially. One could be the economy. If the economy is still in not great shape, which is likely correct in the next six weeks or so, there could be pressure there to try to put some of these in place. In particular, there are a number of things in there that are focused toward hiring and investment, uh, which Carol mentioned, like the work opportunity tax credit and new markets tax credit, which happens to be one that uh, Richie Neal, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, cares a lot about. A number of things that perhaps would be helpful to the economy that might put more pressure to get the extenders package finished this year. Depending on the election outcomes, there may be some pressure to, quote unquote, clear the decks to try to get these things taken care of. Because I think, as Carol mentioned, you know, one of the extenders here is the craft beverage excise tax package. And, you know, those are collected in real time. So, you know, it's part of why folks in Congress have unfortunately become a little more comfortable with extending these retroactively is because, Sometimes they don't actually matter, quote unquote, until they're, or at least aren't claimed until tax returns are due. But with excise taxes, because they're uh, collected on, in a real-time scale, there's probably a little more pressure there to get those done in a more timely manner. So those might push a little bit toward getting those finished either in December. You know, we have a continuing resolution, a spending bill that will need to be dealt with sometime in mid-December. So it's possible they could be added to that. That, um, or perhaps the, it would slip into early next year. Maybe they could be on the deck then. And I agree. I share Jennifer's general sense of pessimism, particularly given that there's always the option of kicking things down the road. I also just think lame ducks are incredibly complicated, and the politics of the lame duck can just be so difficult, given that you're coming off of a hard-fought election battle, both presidential and both houses of, of Congress, that tends to affect the dynamic. There's also the issue of if, if they don't get COVID fiscal response legislation done before the elections, the question is whether they deal with the coronavirus, any additional fiscal response afterwards. And if they don't, would members of Congress feel comfortable addressing the expiring provisions if they're not able to first address the COVID relief? The most likely way it seems to me it would come up would be, given that they probably needs to be part of a larger legislative vehicle, would be as they address the 
government funding legislation, as Jennifer mentioned right now, they kick the can down the road to December 11th, but they still have to figure out how to prevent a government shutdown after that date. It's conceivable that that legislation could be a vehicle for maybe COVID, maybe extenders, maybe just some of the extenders that deal with COVID, like the craft beverages, the ticket taxes, and there's also a hand sanitizer and provision in there for distilleries that are kind of, you know, you could see them attaching that. But it's also just possible that the whole dynamic is just going to be really difficult given that it's a lame duck and it's going to be difficult enough for them possibly to deal with the spending bill that they might not do any add-ons. So, Carol, let me talk about this dynamic of not always getting them done before they expire. And we, I think we would all agree that would be the best policy outcome and be best for taxpayers if they did them before, made the decision to extend or not to extend, and a lot of the reasons Jennifer just outlined. But once upon a time, that wasn't always true. Congress would seem to get their work done before they expired. But some people said, well, that was different then, that you had these big drivers of extenders. You know, during my time on the Hill, it was the AMT patch that kept millions of Americans out of the AMT. Then there was the R&D tax credit that had to get extended. That was a good driver. But a lot of people said, now that those things have been made permanent, maybe we don't have a driver. Let me ask you a question about some of these expiring TCJA provisions. Some of those things that expire, maybe you can just remind us what a couple of those are and whether or not maybe those can become the new engine at some future point to help pull the rest of the extenders across the finish line. Well, but you're talking about the ones that expire at the end of 2020 or the ones that in future years might Future, The one in the future years that someday we know that those are lurking out there, those expirations of some of those major provisions from the TCJA. You're absolutely right. There are a bunch of schedule changes that were included in the TCJA in order to meet revenue targets. Those include things like the interest limitation ramping up due to the change in treatment of depreciation, depletion, and amortization. R&E amortization provision from the TCJA kicks in in 2022. Then you have the scheduled 100% expensing ends and begins to phase down 2023. And then you have the big sort of granddaddy of all these things. It's probably is in a separate bucket than your run-of-the-mill extenders. Most of the individual changes in the TCJA are scheduled to expire after 2025. So that includes the reduction in the individual rates as well as the pass-through deduction. And then also around that time, you have the guilty and fitty rates scheduled to decrease and the beat rate scheduled to increase. So those are all coming down the road. And a lot of those are things that could be big issues. I think the treatment of R&E is one where there could be bipartisan consensus, I think, especially in light of what we've seen with coronavirus, I think there's consensus on both parties that we need to encourage our research and development activities in the U.S. And also, just as a note, coming up next year from the CARES Act, we also have another scheduled ramp up in the interest limitation with the expiration of the special 50% of adjusted taxable income rule that had been included in the CARES Act for just one, one year. So there are a bunch of other big issues coming up ahead. I guess it's good news if you're concerned about extenders. What's going to be the thing that's going to pull us across the finish line? Maybe it's craft beverages, but, you know, some of the big ones you mentioned, I agree, are going to have bipartisan support. The Section 174 RNA amortization, bonus depreciation. These help us on the way in terms of having these big looming items that Congress is going to likely force Congress to deal with in terms of thinking about temporary tax policy. Well, okay, well, that's all for today, and I'd just like to give you one parting thought. You know, in talking about the whole extenders dynamic, both Jennifer and Carol mentioned this oddity of playing the congressional budget game, you know, making these tax items temporary appears cheaper, at least to Congress, uh, than it would if they made them permanent. And I guess that's true until you add up the cost of extending them over and over and over. 
it seems every year we talk about tax extenders and observers of the process will say that this approach, this strategy of making them temporary instead of permanent is penny wise and pound foolish, that this extenders dynamic is really just paying for this same item over and over again. Maybe like renting a house instead of buying it. But I'd like to at least try and mount a defense of temporary tax policy. Yes, I know that's about as popular as defending pineapple on pizza. But let me say this. First, I understand why it seems silly to pay for the same item over and over rather than pay for it once. But if you think about that for just a moment, which of those two options is really the clearer reflection of reality? Yes, Congress operates off of a 10-year budget window, but isn't that really just a fiction for convenience? In other words, once we make something permanent, under the 10-year budgetary convention, we then ignore its costs from years 11 through, well, infinity. And if you're a taxpayer who is committed to the accountability of congressional expenditures, well, then shouldn't we all be for a more realistic accounting of that spending? And aren't these extenders, almost all of which reduce tax receipts to the federal government, just another form of government spending, albeit through the tax code? The process of paying for extenders over and over again may not be the easiest way to do it, but I'd argue it's the most accurate way. And finally, temporary tax policy forces Congress to revisit these items every few years and ask if they still make sense. Look, the vast majority of times, as Carol said earlier, Congress just does the whole Sally thing, same as last year. But every so often, it allows a few of these things to die. So let me leave you with a story. I remember during my time working on Capitol Hill, a particular time, we were having an intense negotiation and a legislative drafting session about that year's tax extenders. And somewhere in the middle of the night, we reached a deal and finished our drafting. And as we were finishing, somebody said, wait, I think we just agreed to let provision X expire. Is that right? And sort of we all looked at each other in stunned silence both Republican staff and Democratic staff, House staff and Senate staff, before somebody bravely said, I think so. And with that, there was a spontaneous cheer that broke out as we high-fived and backpedaled each other as if we had just won the Super Bowl. Now, silly as that is, that's still a vivid memory for me. So, yes, it's rare, rarer than it should be, but it does happen. So if provision X in that example had been permanent, it might still be with us. Well, with that, we'll part ways for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, and I hope to see you soon.